0: Coming up on Harvard Chain This Week in Health, the
1: impact of a single opioid prescription. The clinical community needs to come together, particularly within health systems, and say, how are we going to contribute to solving this problem? How can we as a community come up with best practices among our own physicians around how we prescribe opioids, and let's be consistent about it.
0: How doctors prescribing habits may be fueling the nation's opioid epidemic, and what can be done to change that. Hello and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. It's Thursday, March 23rd, 2017. I'm Noah Levitt.
2: And I'm Amy Montemiro. In
0: 2015, more than 15,000 people in the US died from an overdose involving prescription opioids.
2: And over the last three decades, rates of opioid prescribing have quadrupled, driving a nationwide epidemic of opioid overuse. To put this in perspective, according to one estimate from the CDC, in 2010, enough opioids were prescribed in the United States to provide every American adult with five milligrams of hydrocodone every four hours for a month.
0: Now new research from the Harvard Chan School and Harvard Medical School is examining the long-term impact of a single opioid prescription while also showing that the doctor who treats you can play a major role in whether or not you become a long-term user of opioids.
2: The study was led by Michael Barnett, Assistant Professor of Health Policy and Management at the Harvard Chan School and an HMS Instructor of Medicine at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. And it examined data from 375,000 Medicare beneficiaries treated by more than 14,000 emergency room physicians over a three-year period.
0: It's believed to be the first study to measure variation in provider prescribing practices and their impact on long-term opioid use. We spoke with Barnett about the research and we started the conversation by asking why he chose to study this issue and why he and his fellow researchers looked at Medicare patients who are older than 65.
1: So I'm a primary care physician as well as a researcher, and um, I think opioid use disorder and pain management is something we struggle with every day. It's not, like a daily or a weekly problem, it's an hourly problem. It's just something that we deal with um, constantly, and um, as I think all of us are aware, you know, the opioids have taken over the country um, as um, one of the most important public health problems, um, um, you know, rivaling smoking in its um, intensity and in um, causes of death. Um, um, nationally. And so I think for me, the motivation was clear that opioids are an enormous problem that I have in my daily practice and also are taking um, an outsized national importance as people are increasingly recognizing the problem. In terms of the study itself and Medicare patients, um, there's actually been an enormous increase in opioid use disorders and hospitalizations for opioid-related issues in the elderly, which I think has been pretty underrecognized, but is actually a growing problem. Just like it's striking every other part of the population, by far the most, um, the highest prevalence of opioid use disorders and overdoses are among the are among um, um, younger adults. Um, but the Medicare population is growing quite rapidly. Um, And as a primary care physician, I recognized that I had very little guidance in terms of when and how to prescribe opioids. And I think that's really what motivated the idea behind the study, which was to exploit variation in how physicians make decisions to understand what is actually the impact of that single prescription that someone gets when they haven't actually had an opioid before.
0: Talk a little bit about what what you were looking at in terms of of how doctors were kind of writing these prescriptions and then kind of what the impact of that was.
1: We thought of using the emergency department As a great setting to do this study for a few reasons. So one is that many people go to the emergency department with um, um, severe pain and they get prescribed opioids. Another reason is that um, it turns out that patients don't choose their emergency room doctor. Once you go to a hospital, you don't really have a choice about who you see. Um, If you are going to be seen, they say, okay, here's your bed. And then the physician um, um, that treats you is the physician that treats you. Um, and so in a way, that creates a natural experiment where you could either be treated by a physician who's a high prescriber or a low prescriber of opioids, and that's not something that the patients decide. Um, and that means that overall, um, the, the patient populations that see high versus low prescribers within the same hospital are pretty similar, which is very useful to us as researchers because we're interested in disentangling the impact of being prescribed an opioid from the type of patient that's more likely to receive an opioid.
0: So a quick interjection here to define what Barnett means when he says high prescriber and low prescriber.
2: Researchers looked at the emergency room doctors and calculated what percentage of their patients were prescribed opioids, how often they were prescribed, and at what dose.
0: And so the high prescribers represent the top quarter of doctors in terms of prescription frequency, while the low prescribers represent the bottom quarter. Here's Barnett again.
1: What we did is we took a a population of patients who are... um, Um, overall um, older, older than 65 in Medicare, and um, hadn't used an opioid at all in the past six months. And we said, let's look at everyone who has um, an emergency room visit um, having not used any opioids in the past six months. And what's the effect of being treated by a high prescribing doctor versus a low prescribing doctor? And one really interesting thing there is actually that the difference between the high prescribers and low prescribers, even within the same hospital, is quite stark. So there's actually a threefold difference between those two. So if you saw a high prescriber, the likelihood of getting an opioid prescription um, when you're discharged home is 24%, which is nearly one in four. Whereas if you see a low prescribing physician, the chance of being sent home with an opioid prescription is only 7%, or about one in 14 or so, which is uh, really quite a stark difference. So that um, means that being treated by a high versus low prescriber is, you know, really a different experience. And so what you
0: found is that it's not just the act of prescribing the opioid that matters, but what also matters is how long the
1: patients are using the drugs, Correct. The main outcome that we were interested in our paper was how many patients end up using opioids for what we call long-term, the long-term. And so we define long-term use as patients that are using opioids for six out of the subsequent 12 months of the year. Um, And this is actually six months. In the month after the emergency room prescription, because obviously, if you get prescribed an opioid out of the emergency room, by definition, you're already well on your way to six months. Um, And so these are people who um, had to go back to the doctor, you know, three, four, five, six times to get refills for their opioid prescriptions after they left the emergency room. And um, so that seems like actually a fairly extreme outcome, you know. That's not something that you think would happen randomly by chance. But it turns out that. among the high prescribing uh, physicians their patients were 30% more likely to have long-term use in the subsequent year after emergency room visit than the low pres- than the patients treated by low prescribers one of the remarkable things about that finding is it really held up to a lot of different statistical tests that we did to try to kick the tires and make sure that we weren't seeing something that just reflected some difference in the patients that um, tended to see high versus low prescribers,
0: and so you talked about one of the things is kind of like the potential factors was this concept of clinical inertia. So, can can you explain what that what that is and how that might kind of inf- might kind of influence some of these outcomes?
1: So, I think one key thing to realize here is that in the paper, we're not trying to malign emergency room physicians. Um, in the um, Since the paper's been published, there's been a lot of commentary by emergency physicians who I think feel like the article might be uh, treating them unfairly or making a mountain out of a molehill in terms of a small effect size. But the truth is that um, the main motivation for looking at the emergency room is because we can actually get this natural experiment going. So one of the key things here is that... In those six months after the emergency room visit where people have long-term use, other physicians need to fill that prescription. So why does that happen? Someone gets a, an opioid prescription in the emergency room, but somehow other physicians are filling it are more likely to fill it over the subsequent six months. And what we speculate is that there's this idea of clinical inertia, that if I have a patient that comes to me with an ankle sprain who has seen the emergency room earlier that week, and then they come to me and they're on um, you know, three tablets of oxycodone a day, Um, and they're still in a lot of pain, it's just natural for me to just continue that prescription rather than questioning, oh, well, should I reduce the dose? Should I change it to another medication? It's just something the patient has been on. Probably they've gotten used to it or they think it's effective, and I'll just simply continue it. And um, it's just much easier cognitively to deal with than to try to... um, come up with some new pain regimen um, for that patient. And so that's why we um, speculate this idea of clinical inertia might be driving some of our findings.
0: And so one of the things you point out, and you mentioned a few minutes ago, I mean, you're, you're a primary care physician, but there but there really is kind of this, I guess, lack of guidelines on prescribing opioids. So I guess like as a takeaway from from the research, I guess, like what 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 could be done to, to address this? I guess both at the initial prescribing stage, but then to address that clinical inertia.
1: At the initial prescribing stage, I think there are a lot of things that can be done. There are a lot of policies that state governments have already been putting into place. Um, and there's sort of mixed evidence um, so far for the effectiveness of those different policies, like having um, prescription monitoring programs where doctors can look up patients' pre- opioid prescription history online. Other policies that I think could be effective would be that I think there's a a dearth of training for physicians um, both in medical school and in residency in how to use opioids responsibly Uh, responsibly, um, as well as how to prescribe them effectively to patients. Um, I think also we could use a lot more research around when are opioids effective for pain treatment and when they aren't. And uh, more and more data is emerging that in some situations where we think opioids are effective for pain, it turns out actually they may not add a whole lot on top of standard over-the-counter remedies. In terms of the clinical inertia piece, um, I think that's a tough one. I think that's probably more educating um, existing physicians that you know there, there is an alternative to opioids for pain management, um, but it's hard because I know as a primary care doctor that you know, we, we don't have a ton of tools in our toolbox. We try everything we can, but sometimes for patients who are in enough pain, it, it's just hard to know what to do. It, it's very hard to send a patient home who we know is going to be suffering. So I think there, um, honestly, I don't know that I have all of the answers. Um, I think that the, um, uh, the clinical community needs to come together, um, particularly within health systems, and say, how are we going to contribute to solving this problem? How can we as a community come up with... Um, uh, best practices among our own physicians around how we prescribe opioids, and let's be consistent about it. And also follow outcomes and look at prescribing rates for physicians and how it's changed. And let's look at how our patients rate our pain management. And let's look at opioid overdoses and rates of um, abuse in our community. And and look at um, um, you know really hard outcomes to um, uh, create evidence.
0: So one of the the concepts that was interesting to me, and I think this was a term I hadn't seen before, but this idea of the number needed to harm, and I think it was. One out of forty-eight people prescribed an opioid would become a long-term user. So, is that kind of number needed to harm concept? Is that is that kind of like weighing the the ben- the pain management benefits of opioids, but also kind of looking at the potential costs? And like, is one in forty-eight a very high number to harm? A low number to harm? Can you kind of explain that concept a little bit?
1: Yeah. So, the number needed to harm that we calculate in the paper, it, it's a bit of a back of the envelope calculation. So, I think um, you know, it's it's hard it's hard to hedge it. Um, you know, in the paper itself. But I think I view it as really a rough guide to help people quantify, you know, it it can be hard, I think, to take any sort of percentage or effect size you see in a paper and translate into real world terms. And I think the number needed to harm makes it a little more real. And what this means basically is In the particular setting in our study, for Medicare patients coming to the emergency room, um, out of 48 prescribed an opioid, one who might not otherwise become a long-term user would become a long-term user. And so um, that's a little bit more than 2%. And um, um, to some people, that might seem small. um, But actually, I would argue that it's actually a fairly substantial effect. Um, It's not um, jaw-droppingly huge, but there are a few things to consider. One is that Medicare patients coming to the emergency room who haven't used opioids before are a pretty low risk group at baseline. So um, um, they're not, you know prescribing an opioid to them, you know, no matter what the circumstance, is not that much is not that likely to turn into long-term use. The other thing is that opioid prescriptions are very very common. So in our study, nearly 15% of people discharged from the emergency room left with an opioid prescription. So if you think of that across the whole country, that is a lot of opioids being dispensed to people visiting the emergency room. And so even if the number needed to harm is um, not um, is not very small, it's not like one in two or one in five or something, um, when you extrapolate it across the whole country, it actually becomes a very large number of people who are um, potentially triggered into being long-term users who might not otherwise. I will caveat this all by saying this is an observational study, and so we don't know for sure that, you know, how much of the effect we observe is truly causal, and this number needed to harm is really a thought experiment saying if what we see is truly a kind of a causal estimate, this is the, ha- this is the magnitude of the harm. Um, so what I'd say is that in some ways the number um, doesn't seem that big, but it's such a common therapy that actually this could extrapolate to thousands and thousands of long-term users um, um, annually.
0: Kind of looking at this from the patient perspective, and I imagine it's really difficult because if you go to the ER and you're in pain, you just want the pain to stop. And then even if you go to your follow-up a few days later, your primary care physician, if you're still in pain, you just want the pain to stop. I guess if you are a patient who's concerned about opioid prescriptions, like are there conversations you could be having with your doctor? Like is there any role a patient can play to maybe take more ownership of this? Or is that really difficult because... Like you're in pain and you want the pain to stop.
1: So um, it is really hard, I think, for patients to um, be strong advocates for themselves in the healthcare setting. Um, unfortunately, everything I say is acknowledging that it can be hard, I think, to contradict or um, you know put yourself between what the doctor wants and what you want. However, I will say that I think patients default to opioids simply because doctors say, oh, here you go. Like, they, you know, you know, we're the ones, I think, primarily pushing these. Yes, there are patients that will ask for opioids by name and are very um, insistent on receiving them. And that is, um, that can be, that's sort of a different um, challenge. But there are also many, many patients who just simply want their pain to be treated better. And they will do what we recommend. And if a physician um, recommends an opioid, um, I think it is very reasonable for a patient to say, oh. I've heard that opioids can be um, addicting, or I could um, have a hard time getting off of them once I start. Um, Do you think I could get away with being on a lower dose or a different medication? Do you think my pain could be treated effectively? And then you could have a very brief conversation with the doctor around, um, you know, what the appropriate treatment for your pain is and whether the doctor thinks it's reasonable to have a non-opioid. And very often, it will be the case. Sometimes the pain can be very severe or the injury can be very severe, and the concept of having adequate pain control without an opioid is, um, um, is hard to imagine, um, but I think um, I can easily imagine it would actually be quite refreshing for a patient to say, oh, I'd actually rather not have an opioid. Um, and there have been instances where I've actually found myself in the unusual situation of trying to talk a patient into it because I was worried they weren't treating their pain effectively enough. Um, but, you know, we respect, we respect our patients' wishes. And um, some people would rather um, um, handle some pain knowing that they'll be taking medications with likely fewer side effects.
0: That was our interview with Michael Burnett on doctors and their opioid prescribing habits. And he says there is much more research needed in this area. That includes assessing the effectiveness of policies aimed at reducing opioid overprescribing and overuse.
2: Burnett also says more research is needed into opioid use and pain management in general. For example, is an opioid the best course of action for an ankle sprain or back pain? And if so, how much should be prescribed and for how long? Answering these questions will give doctors important information to consider when they treat patients.
0: And now just a programming note, we will not have a new episode for you next week, but we'll return on April 6th with a fresh podcast for you.
2: In the meantime, you can always subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, or listen anytime at soundcloud.com slash Harvard Public Health.